0: say a few words tonight about dialogue and self reeducation continuing where we left off in the last talk about their attention and reviewing some of that so we can deepen it Again, experimenting with the doing of it as we proceed, rather than just hearing information about a subject. And so, let's start where we are at this moment. We will be talking to each other, listening to each other tonight. And so, where is the starting point? What is the condition of your body at this moment? Is it tense or relaxed? Are you comfortable? What mood are you in? Again, I would like to request that the quality of attention that we bring to each other be no less than what we use when we're sitting on the cushion. So that this is just an extension of what we've been doing, many of us, for a week. Just bringing that same quality of attention, but into action. Dialogue is actually a very ancient spiritual tool. It's been used by the ancient Greeks and all throughout India in classical times and to a much smaller extent now. And it's been used in all the ancient civilizations. So it's a venerable approach. And the essence of it is real listening, total listening. What it suggests is that there can't be real dialogue unless there's real listening. And so, for real listening to happen, there has to be a feeling of being at ease, relaxed, and totally open. It's all participants in the dialogue, relaxed and totally open. you remember a couple of days ago, what was suggested is that when we listen, sometimes it's our mind, our thinking mind that listens, and we hear it from a cerebral point of view. We agree or disagree, challenge, find fault with, and it's largely on the verbal level. Or we receive what someone's saying on an emotional level. That's right, I agree with that person. I like what they're saying. And there's a good feeling. And then there's a deeper approach which is beyond both but necessitates listening to both to come beyond both which is an openness of the whole being. So that it's a profound and deep listening but the listening is not simply with our ears. And so... Whoever is listening is listening to whoever is speaking, but also very sensitive to the surgings that come up from within. And say, right at this moment, words are entering your consciousness. And what's required is hearing the words, but also being sensitive to the play of mind around these words the reactions. and If you can fully experience the reactions of the words, you assimilate them. That is, you fully feel them, absorb them, and move out again to receive the next set of words. It's like a flow. It takes a bit of practice. At first it may seem as if you're doing two very different things. First, listening to yourself, and then listening to the other person. But more and more, it's a very fluid kind of movement, although sometimes you may be more inward and sometimes more outward. But eventually, what happens is that it's just listening. It isn't a self-conscious listener. It's for the real listening to take place. So that requires a kind of energy that is balanced in terms of passive and active. It requires that we be tremendously alert and yet totally receptive at the same time. Often these two things don't go together, largely due to our conditioning. It's not intrinsic to the nature of things that they be apart. So we're alert and also receptive. If there's a real openness, then we can experience the impact of what's being said. At this point, you, experiencing the impact of what's being said. In a few moments, myself as well, all of us, with each other. Now, we're doing it in somewhat of a slow, deliberate, perhaps even stylized way, right now. And to some degree, that's a way of launching it, practicing it. But more and more, it can become part of ordinary human conversation. Perhaps tonight, at times, especially when you begin to ask questions and give your views on things, you might want to slow down a little bit. And from time to time, perhaps I'll suggest that. It doesn't mean that we'll always be doing it. It's similar to the slow walking. We may need it in order to understand what's happening when we ask a question, for example. Maybe we should take that. In dialogue often there are questions. Sometimes one person asks them, and sometimes another. It was used very effectively in ancient Greece by, so- by Socrates, who actually saw dialogue you know, as extraordinarily valuable. It was his belief that you could find out everything important through dialogue. He attempted to demonstrate it by interrogating a so-called uneducated slave and bringing out of that some of the laws of mathematics. What was being suggested is that there are certain truths that are in us and if we're willing to go deeply enough, then we can use each other to exteriorize that which is interior and not accessible. And so you can learn some things that you can't learn alone just by the virtue of saying them to somebody else or having somebody else draw you out, meet you and perhaps walk alongside of you, suggesting what it is you're saying. Socrates also helped people to see that they really didn't know what they were talking about. And he wasn't the only one to come to that conclusion but he was very helpful in showing the people that they were living their lives comfortably speaking with great assurance and almost entirely basing what they were saying on borrowed truths borrowed ideas as we get things from others from books and from authorities and after a while we make it our own And it's as if we really know what we're talking about. One very helpful point to come to in our Dharma practice is a realization that we don't know. It's a Buddhist meditation center, censored. We don't know anything. But not as to create another drama, self-flagellation, poor me, I don't know anything. But in a certain sense it's a very liberating to come to realize that we don't know anything. And that begins to release real inquiry, and inquiry is inseparable from dialogue. I mean if dialogue is to be used in this purpose for this purpose, then it requires a real intention to learn, a real intention to understand, and this intention to learn releases the mind of discovery. Without the intention, real intention, it won't happen. With the intention, certain energies are released and we begin to learn all kinds of things. Okay, so let's say at this moment, I don't know what your mind has been doing while I've been saying what I've been saying, but I hope you do. Perhaps getting lost, noticing it, coming back, finding the mind, agreeing with certain things, disagreeing with other things, etc. But can the listening be such that it's not limited to your feelings and thoughts, but it's really open, total, total awareness, the kind of awareness that the breath exercises are leading towards, that the awareness of the whole breath lead towards, so that while you're listening to me, because right now I happen to be speaking and we will be taking turns in a few moments. It doesn't have to be a narrow, pinpointed kind of concentration. It can be open. You can be hearing the birds in the background. And also aware of what's being said, in a sense, in the foreground. Because our correct situation is that this is called a Dharma talk and so presumably we're attending to each other. Okay. In a few minutes, I'd be interested in any questions that any of us have. First, a few words about questions with uh, sympathetic encouragement. What I'm about to say about questions is not meant to choke off your questions. Quite the contrary. It's meant for you to reflect on what it means to ask a question and to see there are different kinds of questions and to see that the intention to ask a question can come from a very, quite varied source, sources in us. And so it's part of learning. And sometimes when you listen to your question, there's nothing more to it. I mean, there's no, the question dissolves. In fact, one beautiful thing that can come out of this is that you can give yourself your own interviews. You don't have to sign up anymore. As you start to see that many t- if it's a real question, and that's the first distinction, is your question real for all of us? When we ask a question, is it real or is it a reaction? Is it some question that's sort of canned that we ask every teacher we meet or that's been floating around? There's not really a whole lot of energy in it. But we use it from time to time. We're comfortable with it and we ask it. It's not from any place very deep. Or somebody in the room asks a question and then like a ping pong ball, you bounce off that, that stimulates something in you. And that could be deep. But very often if you follow a group and see the discussion, it isn't. What it is, is we free, it's free association. One person says something and then your mind goes along. Someone's talking about parents and then questions come up about parents. and That could be a real question if it were a real question for you. See, the, the only standard is if it's real for you. It might be a seemingly profound, complex, beautiful question and not be real. And somebody could ask a very simple question that seems, well, doesn't everyone know that? But for that person, it's a real question. Maybe another way to put it is that it's an existential question that you really care about the answer or about exploring what the question leads to. One thing I've seen in um, in the interviews, it's one thing that's helped me in working with people, is that very often the questions that are asked have to do with how to get rid of a problem. Perhaps right now, while I'm speaking, a question is coming up for you. See if the question really is about a problem. And often, it seems to me, the questions are basically, I have this problem, will you give me a technique or tell me what to do to get rid of it? Okay, in dialogue, uh, this goes beyond dialogue, it's really an extension of our sitting practice. The focus wouldn't be on how to get rid of it, but how to get rid of the problem, but what is the problem? And fully experiencing the impact of the problem rather than trying to get ahead of ourselves. Let me give you a few examples about that, basically one example. A while back, I used to teach at a university, and. In the senior year, every year without fail, the first part of the senior year, that is the year that people were graduating, mainly the men, but now it's probably everyone, but at that point it was mainly the men, became hysterical because they didn't know what they wanted to do, what career. And there was tremendous pressure on them, should they be a doctor, a lawyer, an Indian chief. And so sometimes they would come around and want to talk about that And the ones who came really didn't know what they wanted to do. They had a problem. And so the suggestion was, as you can imagine, very similar to what we're doing here, instead of trying to find out, instead of trying to imagine what it is you should be doing, or put another way, instead of um, doing an impersonation of someone who's clear, accept the fact that you're confused. Or as we're confused, I honestly don't know what I want to do with my life. But this is a terrifying kind of thing, it seems, for people to reflect on. And so, invariably, the sugge- the suggestion was made to do that. Or as you seem confused, why not start with the confusion? Or as allow the confusion to have full impact? Because the question seemed to be, uh, do you know anything about the difference between law and medical school, and the admission to law school and medical school, or how about dentistry, and what about certified public accountant? You know, it was all way out there. But it didn't get to the root; was that there was confusion. Instead, it was dealing with all these detailed technical information. Well, this detailed technical information. By the end of the senior year, most people completed their impersonation of being a clear person, because it was just too too much anxiety. To admit that they really didn't know what they wanted to do and there was too much pressure from their parents, possibly the loss of graduation presents and money and all the rest. And suddenly everyone knew that they were going to be lawyers and doctors. It was amazing how how quick that clarity came. And if you would check the person and question, "You, you really want to be a lawyer? Oh yeah, oh yeah, no question about it, definitely. Very, very few could finish and just say, I really don't know what I want to do. I'm confused, I'm lost, I have no understanding, and be able to stand up against the pressures of their parents and what they thought society wanted from them and perhaps say, I'm not going to do anything, I'm going to wander, go to California, whatever it is. Very few. Most people couldn't seem to bear to work with the problem. And so they had to invent an answer that perhaps was not appropriate or authentic. Sometimes I think the image of our practice of Insight Meditation is a little bit like uh, a fly being caught on flypaper. Let's say you're you're caught, if you're a fly right now. And the natural impulse would be to start trying to get loose from the flypaper. First one arm and then you discover the back of your head is stuck to the flypaper. And then another arm and then you notice you can't move your legs and then it becomes more desperate and more intense as you try to break away from the flypaper. A good Vipassana student just surrenders to the flypaper. In other words, oh, I see. Absolutely, my right ear is stuck and it won't move at all. There's nothing I can do with it. And this is, I can only look this way because I can't move my head anymore. And I have no use of my right arm, nor my left arm. Oh, I don't even have any legs that can, can work. I seem to be totally stuck and this is what it feels like to be stuck on flypaper and allow that the full impact of that in and magically you're released. Is that true? (laughs) At least sometimes? Once in a while? Has anyone ever gotten off the flypaper here? Yeah. Good, thank you.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: so in dialogue, listening is very important is total listening, listening to ourselves and listening to the other, and an openness and trust is needed and it's an experiment. I don't know what will come up come out of this tonight, but I hope that in a way seven days is not a lot or however long we've been together, at least many of us, on this retreat. But I hope by now there's some trust been built up, that there's a realization that Bimelo and I are not out to get you, you know, or make you look bad or whatever it is. And that openness is central to all of this. That is freedom, right at the very beginning, freedom to Look totally at our life as it is. Okay, um, let me suggest another image about listening, which has helped me, and it's a modern image. The two of them, they're very similar. Say, an interview situation, sometimes. If you do this kind of work, or let's say if you're a therapist, or any kind of work where you see a lot of people, one after the other, and often let's say people have a lot on their mind, one person comes in and perhaps you talk for 10 or 15 minutes or 20 minutes and they leave, and there's an echo. Whereas they've left a residue, and there's a certain mood that you're in, and sometimes a strong impact of what's happened. And then another person comes in. and so. How to listen in that kind of situation requires an emptying oneself of the echo and the emptying comes about through hearing the echo, through feeling it. The analogy is something like these modern calculators, these small desk calculators. Let's say you add up two plus two plus two and then you punch in some and you get six. Okay, And then if you want to put any new numbers in or if you want to add up a new sum, you have to erase if you don't let's say you know okay now i want to find out how much 2 plus 2 are and if you don't erase then you get 10 2 plus 2 equals 10 well that's not true 2 plus 2 equals 4 but you get 10 because you haven't erased what's been put into the the calculator and in a way the meditative life enables us to do that to, to push that clearing clearance button whatever it's called to come back to zero and one way that that happens is by noticing, let's say if, it, if it's in a discussion situation, the residue of where you just came from. That's why I asked you all what it feels like to be here. Is what mood are you bringing? What is coloring our exchange together? Another example would be a weighing machine. Let's say you want to weigh yourself. You start at zero and you step on it and let's say it says 160 pounds. It has to go back to zero, let's say, if somebody else wants to get their accurate weight. And so it's this kind of coming back to emptiness. And more and more, this practice leads to the ability to listen from emptiness with at least a minimum of yesterday in what we're listening, when we listen to the other person. And so even if you're hearing some questions that are said over and over again, If you can push the clearance button, then it's the first time. If you can't, it starts to weigh on you. And it becomes boring, and people experience themselves getting burnt out. Because they're carrying the past. Moreover, the present is seen from the past. Okay, with that as a background, why don't we just begin to talk to each other. Any questions about what we've been doing here? Perhaps it would be good to start about questions themselves. It doesn't have to even be questions, any comments you might have. Anything that's come to you about the questions that you have, or if you have a particular question. And let's see if we can't use this time together to bring more care and sensitivity into the exchange than perhaps we have done in the past. Well, we've done it under selected conditions. You meet somebody, and let's say a, uh, a romantic connection is made, tremendous attention, at least for the first few weeks. Everything is seen and heard, no question about it. Is it possible for us to develop that ability to listen, to look, in more ordinary circumstances where there isn't so much, where it isn't so compelling, or danger? Often we're quite alert in danger. Or if there's money involved. But now, you know, there's nothing. Here we are just sitting here. Anyone have any, a question about anything we've been doing so far? Okay, before you ask the question, there's a string attached. Yeah. Yeah. Just pause and be with the question. You know, just, there's no rush. We, this is slow motion tonight. Really hear the question and see if it changes it or if anything comes up about it. And if not, that's all right. And then we can all just pause for a moment or so.
2: It isn't really a
0: question. Okay. It's
2: just a thought about questions. Very often when we ask a question, we have an answer that we want and that we hope will be the answer. Um, And I think a real question is when you don't have any answer in mind and you're just looking to see what might be true and you don't know, rather than um, fear or expectation or something like that. So you just ask because you're hoping it'll go a certain way. Mm -hmm.
0: we ask real questions?
2: I mean, why do we ask questions that we want to come out of certain?
0: That, that matter to us.
2: Um, uh, one reason sometimes is that you're afraid they might, connected with what I said, they might not turn out the way you expected.
0: So that means fear?
2: Fear. Or... You might not want to reveal yourself or you don't even know what your real question is. There's too much else on the surface.
0: One thing that perhaps we can all ask ourselves right now is, is there a real intention to find out about anything that may be on your mind? Whenever it comes up and if there is something now, because if there's a real intention to understand, that releases the mind of discovery. A mechanism goes into play. That's very beautiful. If there isn't a real intention to understand, to find out, then we may present ourselves as being interested and inquiring, but there's no real energy there. And when you look closely, what it is, is we're still dependent on authority. We're afraid to doubt. We're afraid to challenge ourselves in a very basic and deep way. And it's much easier to let somebody who obviously must know tell us. And we've had a lot of practice doing that, an enormous amount of practice. And what that practice has done, that is external authority telling us what's true, is it makes the mind insensitive. So for the mind to be rejuvenated, for the mind to become joyful in learning, I think it has to understand that, if it's true. If there's a real dependency. In other words, we can't fake it. And In my own case, I know I've spent a lot of time noticing where I was blocked, because it's so much easier to let someone else tell you and then not take responsibility. But after a while, it becomes deadly, particularly when you find out that they probably didn't know either. What if there were no teachers and no books? or just alone on an island and just feverish work just generated a whole universe on that island. What if we used that energy since we had no help? Supposing there was no help at all. No IMS, no teachers, no books. In a way, that would be wonderful. We'd be thrown back on ourselves. And there's tremendous energy in that. Perhaps questions that come out of that, whether we ask them to ourselves or to another have a a real force and a real ability to transform. Could you pause before you ask it, just for a few seconds? And whenever you feel you want to ask it.
3: This is a question,
0: but... It isn't a question? I'm
3: not sure. I think, I think it's a question of a different sort. Um, one of the things that I think has happened that's of up-noticed um, in the group discussions has been that people have a need to formulate what they hear and run it out in front of everybody. Um, So a lot of times the question is buried in the way this thought, or thoughts, uh, is used by the group once it's put out, or or by the teaching. So a lot of the times it's concealed, maybe, uh, in one way or another. Whereas the real information the person is getting is how it's treated, uh, how it rubs against other ideas and positions that people may have. Um, it's, it seems to me that it's, it's a less, it's less clear than asking a question like, what is fear? But it's, It's nonetheless a way of working with inquiry and information that seems not as maybe direct.
0: Yeah, I don't mean to discredit and let any kind of question be asked. And that's what I was concerned about, squelching that. But it's more, not in an abstract academic way, but each time the question is asked for the person to understand what they were really doing when they asked that question. What was the job of that question? For them at that moment. And it's. An impulse that I have felt, I think, in
3: a couple of yeah. things that I've said. has been almost rather than to elicit some piece of information, I wanted that information to move in the group or to, to get set on
0: okay, now what would that do for you? What is this doing for you right now as we speak?
3: Well, it's doing the same thing. It's what? the same kind of question. It's, it's using a formulation uh, in the situation and um, seeing how that formulation rolls along.
0: Okay, so what? Was, what is that doing for you, seeing that that it rolls along?
3: Coming from different places yes. or, or in a
0: secondary way. Almost. Okay, my question to you is what is it doing for you now personally at this moment?
3: It's doing any well it's deepening a sense of questions for
0: okay and what does that do for you why do you need to deepen your sense of question
3: because one of the things one of the reasons that we're here I think is the spirit of inquiry and mm-hmm. exploration.
0: Let me suggest two directions that things can go in and sometimes they're both the same. They're simultaneous. One would be something is said, a question or a statement and then everyone participates and maybe there's clarification of it or confirmation on the level of information. The person feels confirmed that their idea that they had is what everyone else has, or it seems to be had. And so it's a feeling of reassurance. uh, An understanding of uh, the Eightfold Path or some aspect of it, which can then lead to further inquiry and changes in behavior, etc. But also at that moment, see, often in exchanges, if you look closely, what seems to be happening is that what's exche- there's a request for information. It's a little bit, this is perhaps an extreme, but for quite a while, and maybe it's still going on now, but I sense less so, when there's a problem in the United States, the government would just throw money at it you know hoping it would go away and the same thing can be done with dharma questions you know we ask a question and we throw information at it you know so here take this one and hoping that it will go away and we feel better in the moment and we have a nice handy little verbalization and we you know we can make it our own and share it at parties when we go and people start talking And that, I don't mean that doesn't have some value. And it has some function, too. It keeps the people talking at a distance. I would call that at the bare surface of dialogue or communication. Real dialogue, I think, is synonymous with communion. There has to be a lot of trust and no vested interest in being right. But just all of us, although, for example, at this, this evening, I'm directing things a bit more because I'm playing the role of, in quotes, the teacher. And so I'm directing it and I had some idea that I wanted to experiment with. In a certain sense, it's a little limited because of that. But supposing on another occasion we're just a few friends, just taking a walk and talking. No one's the teacher, no one's the student. Is it possible that out of an open exchange where where we look at our fears, we look at what we're doing when we put out information, what psychologically that's doing for us, perhaps serving as a barrier, what have you, that we all benefit, we all grow in Dharma. And one of the reasons it's become really important for me is that the degree to which we can improve our ability to communicate with each other, let's say in this somewhat stylized way here, one, you can go deeper into yourself, that is just listening, if you really listen, total listening, unqualified listening. It's not uh, just ideas bouncing off each other. It's experiencing the full impact of the other person. And that can take you deeper into yourself, so it's not different than what we're doing when we're on the cushion. But there's another incentive for me personally which has to do with the quality of, of life, of daily life. It seems to me that In one major area, perhaps the most major area, the human race has been an abysmal failure. In other words, we are a total, colossal failure. We cannot live with each other as human beings. We don't seem to know how to do that. We have extraordinary technology and all kinds of things are possible. And yet, we can't get along with each other. Thousands of years have rolled on and all the books that have accumulated and all the sages and everything that's happened. And here we are again, two people find it difficult to get it together, three people, whole societies. Now, I'm not saying that communication is the solution, but it seems that unless we're willing to expand the definition of what the meditative life is to include relationship and communication, then I don't see where, where anything will change in any significant way. So it seems that developing this ability to listen, this ability to listen to yourself as you speak, to the other person, it has its value in this retreat as still another extension of mindfulness, bare attention, inquiry, but to some degree can carry over into very ordinary relationships when we leave here. And I think I, the information part, to me, is less valuable because you can get that from books. I mean, there's just whole libraries of information on what the Buddha said. And unless that's delivered in such a way as to have an impact and bring you back to yourself, it's just filling up your computer with more information, which may be entertaining or interesting, but there's no it's not contributing directly enough to transformation. Whereas if we use the communication process itself as part of inquiry, I think it has some potential. At least that's what I'm, why it's worth experimenting with. Now, personally, for example, in attempting to do this, there's a bit more insecurity. For example, tonight, I felt a bit more insecurity than giving a normal Dharma talk. I mean, I felt it, because I don't know what's going to happen. And I knew that I did want to, it was a bit of a Dharma talk, but after that I, I did want to move with everyone as best as I could. And it is more insecure than speaking from in back of a set of whatever it is, <coughs> information, so forth. I mean, but it's fresh. The, the, it's worth taking the risk because it's more alive.
3: But then I think implied that mm-hmm. somehow that our then. Yeah. uh, Yes. Perhaps my question generated.
0: What I found is is that if somebody went in a teacher's role, if somebody asks a question, it's a real question, and it's an existential question. It brings out the best in me. It's much easier to answer it, even if you don't know the answer. It somehow uh, it's alive. Whereas if, it's, if the person's distracted and just doing it, uh, you have to work a lot harder to meet them. And more and more, what I'm doing is trying, feeling that I'm doing the person a disservice if I perpetuate that. And so I'm trying to learn how to gently inform the person that they're not interested in what they're asking. Or they're not aware of the fact that they're in a group in asking it. And Oh, what?
1: the big
0: Okay. Seniority. Go ahead. <laughs> That's all right. to say. wasn't It Okay, but you know it's an opinion. So it's not too dangerous.
1: Okay. <laughs>
2: retrospective understanding.
0: Ah, that was my question. I didn't even know what it was. And I think it's important to allow that. Oh yeah, no, nothing is being... Uh, there's not a thought control kind of approach. But for example, let's say out of the dialogue something is stimulated in you. Part of your inquiry is to see what that is. It could be just like free association or it could be deeper. Where it com- in other words, what produces... The reaction it can come from anything, it can come from a leaf falling on the on the ground right in front of you, and suddenly a deep question or a deep insight comes.
1: Then you let the conversation boil up, and you can
2: look back at it and say, "Aha," or you can say, "What happened there? What was the real question?" Or uh, you can look at it afterwards. If, if you never start, you may never have anything from which to yes to work.
0: Yes, but we all have to do it together. If we all do it together, there's a level of intensity at which we meet, which makes it more alive for all of us. It's true. Wherever you sit st- What? The, what's happening here now doesn't feel alive. That's true. Why not? Why doesn't it? For is it does it not feel alive for you? Intimidated. What? It's exactly. Okay, I, I, I knew that there was some possibility. Okay, let's work with that. What is the, what's the intimidation about?
2: Uh, Well, in my case, I had this remarkable experience just a little while ago, and it's been coming up in my heart about the the way my jaws are fixed and the fear behind it. I'm trying to hold everything still. (laughs) And oh, this is so wonderful to me, but I don't know if there's a question here, you know, but to me, the, the nature of fear is very much revealed in this. Mm-hmm. But I'm embarrassed to bring it up this
0: way. Why? Why, why be embarrassed?
2: Um, because there's, a, you know, we're saying dialogue and question, and neither of those applies.
0: Okay, this is, that's what we're talking about. There are many worthwhile things in life outside of dialogue and question. It's just this one kind of activity. But even in what you said, there's the possibility of pausing and going into the fear. Whereas I find myself frightened. Why? What is that about? And sometimes exteriorizing it, that is, sharing it with a group of people, can help bring you to it. And other times we can use a group to lose ourselves in it. But it's not to squelch the other kind of experience that you had. I'm sort of featuring one aspect of what can happen between people, between a group of people.
2: Um, Wonderful, because right now as you're talking, I'm feeling myself, you know, the the jaws. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Which is, uh, you know, there's a lot more movement possible. Uh, to me, this is a big revelation. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, that... um, uh, I don't have to be focused on my,
0: my question and the answer. You know. We can talk about something else. Maybe. Sure. Okay, but is there some investment at this point in getting away from question and answer on your part? I other words, are you motivated in some way to, to avoid it? See, if we're free, we can do everything. Anything, it doesn't matter. What you want to do is fine, but is there something that's compelling you to avoid question and answer? In which case, then that would be potentially a useful thing to explore. Only for you right now.
2: uh, Yes, Uh, I don't feel that um, I'm very good logically at
1: uh, argument.
0: Argument. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so there's an assumption that it would be like an argument. Might have come to an argument, but I know that my intent, i I'm not particularly enamored with the argument either. I don't enjoy that mode. Let's work with this because maybe this can be helpful. I went to law school, two law schools in fact, for a while, and the reason that I left, or one of the main reasons, is that I felt you were getting paid. You were a professional arguer, you know, and it—it was—I I had no—I don't have any. It's just not in me. I was not interested in that. And that's what they were trying to develop. So I don't think I wanted to argue with you, but maybe from your past. Yeah. Yes, I think that's you know very interesting for me. Yeah. Uh, it,
2: it, because this is my association, and yet what was actually was actually taking place this evening from your opening. The sound of your voice opened something in my heart, and I wasn't afraid, you know, to the thought. But isn't it interesting, still the association is argument and
0: logic. And so the past, in a sense, enters in and pollutes the present. Mm-hmm. And if we have the right spirit, then it doesn't matter. In other words, we learn from whatever comes up. We take it as a training. <laughs> Personal in joke, excuse me.
1: I just to explain, McLaren uh, was mimicking me with sentence. Including a
0: German accent. <laughs> <laughs> do with the accent. What? Do it with the accent. Yeah, it has to be done with the accent. It doesn't have any power without the accent. <laughs> Um, I think that the way in which I presented it made it a very self-conscious, intense, and some of that is inescapable, and it's all right, I feel. It's okay to get it going. Um, to put it on the agenda, to get ourselves opened up towards it, so that eventually it could be more of a natural thing for people to uh, understand that the communication itself is not outside of, of meditative life. Uh, your arm was going to fall off. So, well, that one thing that's required is more patience with this. You that because the tempo is a little slower. I'm doing my best to slow myself down because we have to allow each person speaking enough space to be with what they're saying. And if you pe- feel people around you, you know, going like that, like that, it gets, makes it hard to do. You feel a little guilty, or you have a f- only a few seconds to get it out. So that's that's one issue that I'm learning about as we do this.
1: Well, my first question would be.
0: Oh no no! It's just not just you. All of us. Yeah.
1: Um, my question is: uh, How is it that I, I include myself obviously in this because it comes from myself? That the terms that we use, which have a certain um, Well, they carry a certain ideal with them. Actually, keep us from moving towards what they Mm -hmm. embody. Perhaps, perhaps
0: like, even the phrase dialogue, ancient Greeks and all that puts a uh, too austere coloration
1: on it? No, I wasn't thinking of that. I was thinking more, more... um, the Spirit of Inquiry, mm-hmm. or, um, oh, I don't know, I've a thousand of them. Yeah.
0: Okay, but what is your question?
1: That's my question. What? How is it that they get in the way? What How gets in mean, the way? Those kinds of terms when actually what they, what they mean deeply to us has, has everything to do yes. with, with communication. Right. With
0: okay. What I'm learning is to not use that terminology, but just start doing it. Now, at other places, that's what I do. Here there's a tradition of Dharma talks. I mean, Maybe it's because I've been here as a yogi quite a bit, where someone gives a talk and everyone sits and listens to it, and that has some value. And so, in some way, I'm given a, a more detailed explanation of how I wanted to try and change that a little bit, at least tonight instead of just changing it.
1: Yeah, what I mean by that is, I'm used to that form. Which form? Of, of there being a, a talk presented like a Dharma talk. Right. And, my, and myself listening to that and trying to listen in enough to hear what's going on in me so that I can respond, even if it's non-verbally, to what's happening. Right. Um, my question comes... Let me, if I can make a picture. I had had the experience once of being at a party when there was lots of people there um, some of whom knew each other rather intimately and Mm -hmm. others less so. It was a large maybe 15 people and there was a lot of talking going on and it wasn't alive. Mm -hmm. You could hear the sound but it wasn't alive. And then somebody said something. And Wake up! <laughs> and What happened in that room was that 15 people stopped talking. And what they said wasn't um, critical at all. Mm-hmm. But what they had done was they had shared something with somebody in some corner about themselves. Or maybe they asked a question. Mm-hmm. I I can't remember what it was, but what it allowed. I mean, the picture I have of it in the moment was it was like a sword, and you could kind of feel it cutting the atmosphere, and it allowed everyone else in that room then, who wanted to, to speak from the same place. Mm -hmm. And what I remember most about it was that that person's words and none of those terms that we hook onto that we think we know but they somehow keep us from getting to talking
0: why why for you tonight
1: why for me tonight what
0: did that happen
1: did I remember that? No. Or did I not? Why did I now? Yes. Yeah. I think that somehow the, the, the presented form. Mm-hmm. Um, Impacted me in such a way that I felt that I should. That um, it reminded me of some conversations in the past with people where I felt that we both had a particular ideal in life that we were striving for or kind of holding in mind. Yeah. But, but what was happening in the moment wasn't that. We needed to talk about that as well. Yeah.
0: It sounds like to me that what happened was that at some point you left here and became quite involved in your past. The association. That, that's part of what it is being asked is that we pick up on when we move from here and get caught up in associations.
1: I don't think that that's what happened, because I think that that was very momentary. I see. Like that was just, and and I was back here. So I don't feel like that's what occurred. Mm -hmm. I think what occurred more is is that what you presented stimulated me. Mm -hmm. It didn't make me feel uptight, or now we're going to be in this Socratic situation, Mm -hmm um but maybe we really would talk mm-hmm. and when we spun off into some other things, I felt we weren't talking mm-hmm. and it's in that it's at that precise point I associated with the past.
0: Are we talking now, you and I?
1: I'd like to think so. Okay.
0: Anyone who hasn't asked a question yet? Who wants to? Yeah. Um, I, does it have to
1: be a, a question? <laughs> <laughs> I,
0: I wonder if we're, there's some fear of asking a question because of the. <laughs> you think that's possible? What? I,
2: I, I want to say this, that it, it doesn't have a question
3: mark yet. Okay. So. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.